Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here today and we're going to try to answer as many of your questions as we can. Uh, we always get a little bit behind because of how many questions we get. And, of course, we have to have things transcribed so we can do the closed captioning and all that. So there's a little lag in there from uh, when you send your question in or call it in until we can get it on the air. But uh, we go as fast as we can, and hopefully we'll get to yours today. If you're a first-time viewer and don't know what I'm talking about, uh, that's what this program does. Is we answer Bible questions. Actually, we answer life questions or any kind of questions about the Bible that uh, somebody calls in or puts on the website uh, we'll try to get you an answer to those questions. Uh, there is a phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. Use those anytime you want and get in touch with us. And that's kind of the unique thing about Know Your Bible is you direct the program. You tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And that's what we'll talk about. And we're, let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering, that uh, helps me answer these questions each week. Toby, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. Uh, we got a trivia question for our viewers. We always start with one to see if they know something. And I'm not sure we've ever asked them to quote a verse before, but that's the one today. <laughs> quote John 11:35. And we don't expect you to know many verses in the Bible, but I bet a lot of people know this one. Uh, and I gave you a hint. It's a short verse. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, see if our viewers know what John 11:35 says. Uh, let's see, I got the first one today. I guess I'll just kick things off Lucky. then. I'll just keep talking. Uh, viewer wants to know, when I die, will I see God when I come before him in judgment? And second question, will it be in flesh or spirit? All right. Well, both of those are actually pretty straightforward questions from the Bible. Uh, yes, in heaven you will see God face to face. Uh, that doesn't happen here because we're earthly. We couldn't stand it. If you want to put it in those principles, God is so holy and pure that uh, we in sin couldn't take it. Uh, in fact, God says that uh, very clearly in uh, Exodus 33:20. He says, no man shall see me and live. Uh, so people saw parts of God, visions of God. He revealed a little bit of himself to them sometimes. But nobody's seen the full glory of God. Now, once we're in heaven, once our sins are gone and we're spirit like him, uh, the Bible very clearly says that, yes, we will see him. Um, uh, trying to remember the beatitude. It just slipped my mind right there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that's one place that says it. Uh, specifically. And then Revelation 22, verse 3 and 4, let's look at that together on the screen. It kind of settles the matter. Uh, the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. It's talking about heaven, the holy city. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. 
Well, that's pretty clear proof that uh, when we get to heaven, yes, we shall see his face. Now, part of the question about it, is it in flesh or spirit? Well, God is spirit. Now, we can't see God in flesh because he is spirit. And by the time we get to heaven, we will have received our spiritual body. Uh, our spirit will have received a spiritual resurrection body. So we'll be spiritual also. Uh, so we'll see him in spirit. Now, what's that going to be like? I think it'll be a whole lot like flesh, but uh, it's going to be different. So we'll see him as spirit, in spirit. Uh, be a wonderful thing to see him face to face. So Absolutely. that's what the Bible says. Okay. The next question a person asks is, was Paul the first to preach the gospel to the Gentiles? Uh, no, he was not the first one to preach to the Gentiles. Although Paul was called to the Gentiles and preached a lot to the Gentiles, technically speaking, he was not the first. Uh, Jesus called Paul himself when he was still called Saul, and he said specifically in Acts chapter 9, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So in terms of calling, Saul uh, definitely, as he was called to be the Apostle Paul, was absolutely a preacher and a missionary to the Gentiles. And we know that from various other places in the New Testament that he did this often, and it was a key part of his ministry. Uh, so that was, uh, and, and that the unique thing about that is Paul was, uh, as as just Jewish and trained in that culture and law as he could be, and then Jesus called him to preach to the non-Jewish people, and so it's a it's a beautiful illustration of how God calls us, and many times has different plans for us and has a unique calling uh, beyond what we think for ourselves. But the specific answer to the question of who preached the, to the Gentiles first, if we look strictly by the Bible account. <coughs> Uh, in Acts chapter 10, it seems to be Peter as he preached to uh, Cornelius and his household. We're going to look at Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts him uh, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And he goes on to explain that uh, uh, Cornelius was of, uh, in, it was this in Caesarea. He was the, the Italian uh, cohort. He was a God-fearing man. He was devout. He was uh, gave. Uh, he was generous. Uh, he was prayerful. He had been praying to the Lord, uh, but he was not a Christian, and and uh, he of course not a Jew. And so uh, Peter got to preach to Cornelius uh, after having this vision. Uh, where God basically explains to him that there is no one uh, that should be called unclean or undeserving of hearing the gospel message, which was may have been a tendency of a Jewish person to think like that because under the Old Covenant, that was how it worked. But under the New Covenant in Christ, it is, goes to men of all nations, uh, and uh, it's to anyone who will hear the call of Christ and who wants to obey uh, his word and his will. So Peter was the first, and Paul did a lot of it uh, beyond that. So a lot of his letters record that. Okay. Thank you, Toby. Got a question about atheism and salvation here. A uh, viewer says, my brother and best friend are atheists. Will they be saved anyway? Well, in today's the spirit of this age, it's so much tolerance and not offending anybody and not 
hurting anybody's feelings. Uh, it's kind of trendy today to come up with some kind of answer that says, well, maybe so, yeah, God might do that. Uh, in fact, some people even have come up with a doctrine called universal salvation that says God's so loving that at the end of time or when you die, everybody's going to be saved. It's just it's, He's going to work it out somehow. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't agree with the Bible. The Bible's very clear. The uh, Bible's very straightforward about the whole matter of creation and sin and God's salvation for us and all that. Uh, I'd say Hebrews 11 verse 6 is the best verse uh, to answer your question in just a few words. Let's look at Hebrews 11:6. The writer of Hebrews said, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Uh, you've got to believe those two basics about God, that He exists and that He loves us and rewards those who seek Him. Uh, an atheist, by definition, doesn't believe that He exists. Now, I don't know how many true atheists there are. Sometimes I wonder if uh, anybody could truly be an atheist. Uh, but many people claim they are. Uh, perhaps they've been taught that by their parents, atheist parents. Perhaps they learned that from some wise professor. Uh, perhaps they've made lifestyle choices that uh, God condemns, and so the easiest way to get around that is just not believe in God. Uh, lots of reasons that people may say they're atheists. Uh, there's no excuse for that. Uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says if you look at nature, you've got no excuse. You can tell that there's a, a divine being out there somewhere. Uh, so, the concept of atheism is very hard for me to understand, but uh, the answer to your question is no. If somebody really is an atheist, denies that there's a God for whatever reason, uh, it's impossible to please Him, and you can't come to Him that way. You need to believe that He exists. So, um, I'm sorry in one sense to have to say that, but uh, very clearly what the Bible says, and if you read the Bible, it's very clear why it says that. So. That's the answer. No, atheists can't be saved anyway. Yeah, and and for the viewer who's asking the question, I mean, there is still hope oh, yeah. as long as they have breath in their lungs, and yeah. maybe that's you know maybe God has a a purpose for them. Yeah. So, well, uh, you know, history is replete with the oh, people absolutely. that were atheists. Yes, and figured out hey, this this just <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah. C.S. Lewis was one of the yep. most famous ones. Mm -hmm. Became a great Christian apologist. So when I say no, they can't be saved anyway, uh, I'm not saying give up all hope and not right, yeah. quit talking to them about God or asking them to look at creation or anything like that. I'm just saying if they die yeah. denying God, absolutely, yeah. that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a hard thing yep. to be in that situation. Next question is, a viewer wants to know is what is the what does the prophecy in Isaiah chapter six mean? The chapter uh, in Isaiah chapter six, if you turn there and you're looking and reading at it, seems a little bit weird. He has this vision and he sees um, a heavenly vision, and uh, he sees the angels around the Lord and they're crying, "Holy, holy, holy!" And Isaiah just is absolutely overwhelmed and. And sees all this, takes all this in, as as I think any right-minded person would do, and his only response is, "Woe to me!" 
I'm a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips and unclean hearts. Uh, he just, in, in the, the radiance of God's perfect holiness and presence and, and an absolute, complete, sinless uh, environment, he is absolutely, totally aware of his sinfulness, of, his, uh, of how far he falls short personally, of how far the people that he's called Israel, uh, how far they fall short. And <clears throat> this is what God is going to use to call him as a prophet of God. And uh, Isaiah is a, a major prophet, which we usually just call those uh, in the books of the Bible. That I learned in college that the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets usually has to do not with the men who were called, but with the size of the book that we have. And so because Isaiah is such a large book, and he is writing to uh, the nation of Israel, um, spends much of the time warning them about the coming destruction uh, by the nation of Assyria. And he gives some future prophecies that the nation of Judah as well uh, needs to uh, repent and turn because their destruction will come. And so he was a prophet in turbulent times, you might say. Um, and so Isaiah chapter 6 is simply this a picture of Isaiah's calling and the understanding of the job that he had to do. And <clears throat> he goes on to say, How long, O Lord? And he just he gets this uh, overwhelming burden for the people to return to God, to repent of sin, and to know the Creator that, that they started out in covenant with. Um, and so that's what Isaiah chapter 6 is all about. The prophecies there are concerning the nation of Israel and asking uh, them to repent before destruction comes. He calls the prophet to preach repentance, and yet at the same time he knows, as has been throughout all the ages, when repentance is preached, uh, not everyone repents, as we talked about in the last question. Um, but he's still got a job to do. And even if it's just calling a small minority of folks, uh, God's going to use that small remnant eventually, many, many years later, that will return. That small remnant is the remnant out of which God will uh, bring forth a Savior. And so he, another lesson there on, on the faithful remnant and how it's important. So let's read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 together, uh, where he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And that is probably the best verse to encapsulate the calling of Isaiah. I hope that helps. All righty. Got a question about the burning bush in the Red Sea. Uh, before I answer that, I'm going to just very quickly mention that we've got uh, some good ways for you to study the Bible. And if you'd like to study the Bible at home, we've got some courses that we'd be happy to send to you in the mail. All you have to do is use that phone number, that website at the bottom of the screen, and tell us uh, you'd like to sign up for that. And we'll send you some free Bible study materials and get you knowing your Bible on your own and, uh, in your home. Uh, we can answer a few questions each week, but uh, you probably have lots of questions about the Bible, and the best way to answer them is uh, just study through the Bible in a systematic way, and uh, answers will just jump off the page at you as you're reading along and as you're studying different parts of it. You'll say, okay, now I understand that. <coughs> Excuse me. So you'll learn a lot about the Bible from these, and we're happy to send them to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, even we even pay the postage, so 
uh, just call in or get on the website say you'd like a free course. We'll send you the first one. Uh, you'll see if you like it. And it's about the Old Testament and uh, how it was written and all of that. And uh, we think you'll like it and keep right on studying into more advanced courses and to really get to know your Bible well. So give us a call if you're interested. All right, that angel in the burning bush. Here's what the viewer wanted to know. Was it an angel talking in the burning bush and was it an angel parting the Red Sea? Well, this may seem like kind of a strange answer, but it's, it's hard to tell sometimes uh, what was going on and who was speaking and all that because their, their spiritual beings were doing it. And sometimes the way God describes it, you can't quite be sure, it seems to me. Uh, for example, I went to the story of the burning bush. And let's read a couple of verses out of that and you'll see what I mean. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, talks about Moses seeing this bush on fire. And so he walked over close and the way the Moses explained it, he says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Okay, So all he saw, I think, was a flame, but the Bible says that was the angel of the Lord. And then down in verse 4, it says, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Okay, so it was the angel that was the fire somehow. Maybe the angel started the fire. I don't know <laughs> what that means. And then God spoke. So when you say, was it the angel speaking? Uh, doesn't sound like it there. It sounds like God himself was speaking. But maybe God sent the angel to speak to Moses. Uh, and when prophets spoke from God, it often said God spoke through this prophet. Okay. Now, the, the other one he asked about is the uh, uh, parting of the Red Sea. And what, there were in angels involved there. And listen to what the writer says in Exodus 14, verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. Okay, so when I, the angel of God had been leading the Israelites. But when they got stuck at the Red Sea... The angel got behind them to protect them from the Israelites. And then after Moses stretched his hand out over that sea, it says, All that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. So the angel of God was involved, but once again it says God or the Lord uh, parted the Red Sea. So deciding exactly who was where, when, and all that, uh, sometimes it talks about the angel of God. Sometimes it talks about the Lord. Uh, some people believe the angel of God was Jesus incarnate before he came to earth as Jesus. Uh, but we're not told that directly. Uh, so spiritual beings were doing it. God was directing everything. So in one sense we could say God did all of it. Uh, but I think he used an angel a lot of times. One one difference is when he he specifically names of the angel sometimes, and says that Gabriel talked to so and so. So a little hard to know, but all we know for sure is it came from up there, and God mm -hmm. God's taking care of it. <laughs> all right, let me invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ. We're sponsored by them, and uh, this program provided to you by Churches of Christ somewhere, and we like to mention a few each week. The home church is uh, Northside Church of Christ, but one of our best partners is over in Springfield, Missouri, the Watermill Church of Christ. 
and they've been with us for a long, long time and uh, help us in that area with the uh, correspondence courses and answering the phones and keeping up with all the folks over there that are studying the Bible correspondence course. So we send them our thanks. Uh, and we also invite you to drop in if you live in the Springfield area. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, it would be a great place to check out. They have a beautiful new building and a great preacher there and uh, friendly folks. They would welcome you uh, very warmly. You'll find a group of folks that uh, study and think about the Bible a lot like we do on Know Your Bible. And of course, any broadcast area that you're in and watching from, you can probably find a Church of Christ near you. Uh, either drop in and visit them or if you know somebody that attends one, tell them, hey, I was watching a program the other day. And it said, your church puts that on. So uh, thank them for it, and we extend our thanks to them. All right, Toby, what do you got for us? A question about evil spirits. A viewer asked, if you want to keep evil spirits away, what scriptures can you read? Uh, well, I appreciate the way that the viewer approaches, the, approaches this topic. I will say uh, that in, the, in talking about evil spirits, uh, I think the tendency is to go to one extreme or the other. Uh, one extreme is to think too much and to obsess too much about uh, the spiritual world and the unseen world. And the other extreme is to think too little and to think, well, it doesn't exist and it's not, as, it, it's, it's not uh, affecting anything we do today. And the New Testament says differently. Now, I will say, uh, while I do believe there are evil spirits and there's uh, evidences that there's uh, a spiritual world, uh, I don't have any evidence that they interact with us today or, you know, um, in the way that we see with the Jesus and the apostles that the demons possessed people and, and took them and make them do things against their will. I haven't ever personally witnessed that, uh, but I do think they still act and work. Uh, I think in this broken world, the, that's the, where the evil forces prevail. Um, but I think it's different as we see today than perhaps it was in the first century. Why that is, that's another question. But um, it, Scripture reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against an unseen enemy. And so if the enemy can uh, get us to think too much and obsess too much and, 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 and <coughs> over-focus on it and get scared and fearful and frightened into doing nothing and to not living our Christian life and not doing what God has called us to do, he's, he's done a good thing from his perspective. Uh, if the enemy can get us to not think about him at all and to believe that he doesn't exist, well, then he can be equally effective in that realm as well. As with all enemies and in any kind of battle, you need to prepare appropriately. You need to have a plan. I'm going to encourage you, this is not going to be on the screen, but read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Uh, there he basically says, Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. Uh, take up the shield of faith. Uh, he, he gives us some very practical tips for engaging in spiritual battle. And it's not anything unusual or difficult, but it comes down to growing in faith, uh, taking up uh, and, and understanding the Word of God and using it, reading it, studying it regularly. Uh, uh, be, be willing to, to know that you're secure in your salvation and help others to know that. And as we think of that as a spiritual battle, it will help us as we, um, as we do battle from day to day. Uh, some scriptures of comfort I'm going to give you to read, if, since those are what you asked for. John chapter 16, verse 33 
Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And from 1 John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This spirit is the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So I hope those scriptures help. I hope you'll read Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, not obsess too much, but not, a, not, not think about it at all as we think about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a very interesting study. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's fun to, uh, I say fun, it's uh, very, very interesting to study and try to figure out, but the Bible just doesn't tell us it a whole lot. It doesn't give us a lot of detail. But some people have made up a whole yeah. lot of stuff about them. Uh, the Peretti books, if mm -hmm, any people have mm -hmm. read those, yeah. names, all sorts of demons and all that. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting to read, but my advice is always just stay away from them. They can't possess you, yeah. uh, but they can be invited in, I believe. So if you want to keep them away, just stay away from them. <laughs> all right, let's see if we got time for this one. Uh, what the viewer wants to know, what does the Bible say about male virgins? Uh, pretty easy answer, very little very, very little about male virgins. Uh, there's one symbolic thing in Revelation uh, where it talks about the 144,000. Uh, some people say, well, oh, that's all the people that are going to heaven. Well, if you keep reading, it says symbolically those 144,000 were all male virgins. Uh, so obviously that's not everybody going to heaven. Uh, but it says that symbolically. Uh, beyond that, it says very little. The uh, eunuch from Ethiopia was obviously a virgin. He had made himself a eunuch to serve the queen, evidently. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is one verse that's the most specific, I think. Uh, let's look at that, 1 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. Paul's giving advice about marriage. Uh, Toby talked about this a week ago. And he said, to the unmarried and to the widows... I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul was single. He never married. And he said in this time when there's persecution and all that, he said if you're not married, it's probably good to stay unmarried. Because you get married, you just got one more person to worry about and during the persecution and all that. But then he adds this to the unmarried. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, oh, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now you put that together with the other things in the Bible about the gift of singleness. The Bible doesn't say that singleness is the best situation, but it says some people are able to do that. Uh, and if you want to be a missionary or you want to live through persecution times and all that, it's probably better to be single because so, you don't have to worry about a spouse. So that's about the only advice he mentions about male virgins is in certain circumstances, and if you can, uh, it's okay to remain that way. All right, I think we don't have time for any more questions, but we do want to get our trivia question answered, so let's get that one up there. Uh, we wanted our viewers to quote John 11.35, and I bet most of them could do that, or some of them. It's very short. In fact, supposedly the shortest verse in the New Testament or the Bible, Jesus wept. He was at a funeral of his good friend Lazarus, and even though he knew all about death and resurrection, he wept because his friend was gone. 
Uh, we're glad you've been with us today. We're going to come back next week and answer some more of your questions and see if we can get them covered. Uh, sign up for that course if you haven't done it yet, but we'll be back next week. Till then, Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.